0: Bridging your
1: Catholic faith with your everyday life. You're listening to Trending with Timory on Relevant Radio.
0: Welcome to Trending. It's our weekly marriage hour today on Trending. We're going to be unpacking What my producer, Jim, just absolutely loves so much. He said I had to talk about, and that's the Barbie movie. I just, he actually didn't love the film. Uh, I don't think he saw it. I don't think he would, but he did say, (laughs) there we go. No, he didn't. He made it very clear. Uh, But he did say that I needed to talk about it. And, you know, I'm glad I am because I've spent the last few days just sitting with people who have watched the film. I haven't seen it. You know, I haven't gone to the movie theater I think in years, since like sometime in 2020. It was with a replay on like the 50th anniversary or something in one of the Star Wars movies. Original. It was fantastic. But Barbie movie, I am actually fascinated by everything that's been going on with this conversation. You know, Barbie came out in 1959, really reached its peak in the 1990s. Its popularity being predominantly among the millennial generation. And so I think this film is rather nostalgic for millennial women. At least, I hope mostly millennial women. But here's what's interesting. As I've been talking to people, I feel like I have seen the movie at this point because we have ran through plot lines. I have seen so many different perspectives on it, had a lot of conversations. I never thought, I really never thought that I would say this, that so many people are actually kind of philosophizing about Barbie and Ken. It it is kind of interesting. I never thought I'd put those three words together, but here's what's interesting when i think of barbie and i heard the barbie movie was coming out i thought oh it'll be nostalgic for millennials who want to see the movie because it's brand recognition it's going to be nostalgic you know barbie i think some people want to call her a feminist icon i think i would kind of argue otherwise actually so when i think about barbie i think about playing with barbies it was a short-lived phase for me but playing with barbies Barbie clothes shoes you know she's already got the elevated feet for the high heels I love high heels you know there are a lot of elements to that where people played house with their Barbies they played marriage with their Barbies if they had a Ken doll I don't think I was allowed to have a Ken doll too although I think I remember most of our Barbie stuff we bought at garage sales uh, because you know again toys I think there's such a so much pressure on parents today to always buy the newest, nicest toy. We got some of our best toys at garage sales, just saying. And so when I think about Barbie, I think about that, idea of playing house which often led to playing marriage now some people i know there was a sexualized movement behind barbie in the respect that they had ken dolls they had barbie dolls and this idea of playing sex i think this is kind of around the same time of when the sims became more popular as a computer game and that was a sexualized version of playing house on a computer game in some respects at least that's what i saw people who had 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 sims play so and not that barbie was a, a um a toy that people did in that everyone did inappropriate things with but that was something that some people did play with in respect but what i think of barbie more so as is intriguing the imagination for the area of clothes fashion playing house and even thinking about being married and having babies you know some people had the little kelly doll that later i think in like the late o's maybe around 19 19- 2014 i think it turned into instead of the barbie's baby kelly it turned into the same barbie baby or little girl but suddenly became named chelsea because that must have been a more relevant name in 2014 but here's what's interesting here's where the rubber meets the road people are talking about the barbie movie and i think it's pretty significant if you follow the storyline and if you haven't You have this Barbie make-believe world where, and interestingly, a mom who's kind of millennial age is the one who's directing and playing with the Barbie itself. And so you have this Barbie world and everything is very fashion-oriented. It's fake. It's superficial. It's make-believe. And... There's this dichotomy there where suddenly Barbie has the opportunity to go into the real world. And at the end of the film, she essentially has the opportunity to choose to stay in Barbie land or to live in the real world. And isn't that the option before all of us today? To stay on the level of the superficial, the make-believe, you-do-you, you-make-your-own-reality versus acknowledging the real world and all of its good elements and all of its hard truths. So... Here, I think, is what's interesting. If you look at the movie and like, many of the people who are commenting on it, everyone seems to have gotten something different. It appealed to people for different reasons. And I think millennials were just so excited to go and see a film that was nostalgic. I actually was laughing as I was talking to my sister earlier today, and I was joking saying, hey, would you like information? I was offering her information on food or would you like my notes on the Barbie movie? And she said, I'll take both. She got really excited. Did you see it? And I said, no, did you? And she put a silly little face saying she did and that she had dressed up. And it's fun, right? Like sometimes we just need those fun things that people are doing. We talked a little bit about going to movies last week and this trend between this film and the Christopher Nolan film. But what's interesting is that there are so many different takes on the film it seemed to appeal to everyone now i think big picture i think there's a reason for that movie creators today are having to create movies attempting to make four quadrant films i do not think this is a four four quadrant film but attempting to make films that appeal to the masses but how do you make films that appeal to the masses when we are so polarized in many respects as a society and so i think this film left a lot of things very open-ended and open to interpretation and i think that there were a lot of things in the film that people could take in different directions so it appealed greatly to feminists it upset some people but i think there was intentional ambiguity in the film from a lot of the scenes i am hearing about and especially the ending scene in the film which we'll get to in a minute but here are some interesting elements Part of what I think is interesting is some people might say, you know, it was all about, you know, you taking charge of your life, you do you, all about self-exploration and getting to know yourself and part of the conversation in the Barbie movie is surrounding the whole dynamic between Ken and Barbie. And it's interesting because there are a lot of elements there. I mean, even just randomly on a side note, it's kind of funny. People keep talking about how patriarchy was brought up like 12 different times in the movie without any real clear purpose. And it's almost as if it just uses a buzzword or a word that people use when they're hurt, which I think is very true. But here's what's interesting about Ken. It seems to be a lot of people are talking, especially women, about how you want an Alan, not a Ken. So Alan is one of those dolls, the only other male doll that was released by the Barbie franchise, I believe. And he didn't take off as significantly as Ken did. But what's interesting is in the portrayal between Ken and Alan, a lot of women are out here saying, you want an Alan, not a Ken. So Ken ended up being rejected by Barbie at the end of the day, because he really needed to quote, find himself. And part of what they portrayed in the film is that Ken really only existed if Barbie loved him or looked at him and he was just waiting around for Barbie to pay attention to him. And so Barbie ends up saying, no, you need to find yourself. And one of the key messages I'm hearing people take from that is that men, and I would say it's a message for women as well, you are more than the person who you are with that you need to understand yourself apart from the person you are with. While the person you're with should help you understand yourself more, that's a whole nother conversation but that idea of kind of just waiting around like a dog to be given attention i think in many respects ken was just another stereotypical low grade portrayal of men in society which is unfortunate but then you did have this alan character which they didn't put a lot of emphasis on him in the movie but and again he i think he was actually canceled i might be wrong because every single barbie character was after based off of a different doll that they actually released but at one point in the film he ends up just kicking butt against the kens who take over the barbie world at one point and he is the one person who stands up for barbie and so a lot of people are saying you want an Alan, not a ken you want someone ladies who stands up for you and takes care of you and this idea of handling business when he needs to and also he didn't have to be the star of the show juxtaposed to Ken, there's a certain respect of effeminization in Ken that's seen. And I think that what I'm hearing, and I would agree with this, Ken is a product of a feminist culture. He's a product of what we see in a lot of men today of effeminacy. And I think men, he's portraying how many men have lost themselves because they're so busy not being busy, being defined according to what the world is saying, it just doesn't matter. You're irrelevant. So I think that's one of the interesting story plot lines. But I want to come back to this whole idea of nothing being implicit in the movie and everything kind of being ambiguous. I've heard a lot of people comment that it was just kind of random even in terms of what would come next in the film. And I think part of that is because The creators wanted you to place your own interpretation on it so that it could appeal to everyone. Although it had this theme of you do you and make your own path, it at the same time appealed to the times we live in. It appealed to the hardcore feminists, it appealed to the breakdown in relationships, and the guy who's kind of just waiting around, and women taking their own paths. I think it appealed to people who like to yell about problems with the patriarchy, but at the same time, at the end of the day, There were these elements of motherhood that we all have to agree, as millennials who played with Barbie dolls, it was all about clothes, fashion, plain house, marriage, that make-believe family. It was just an older version of the baby doll. And yes, a little more sexualized, you could say, in terms of the development of the body of the Barbie. But at the end of the day, a lot of what we did when we played with Barbies was Imagine and pretend about what we would like our lives to look like as women. And most young girls during the 1990s still wanted to have a family, still wanted to have babies. And so, what's interesting is that I think the film appeals to that in many respects. Women still want babies. Maybe they mourn the loss of babies. Maybe they are still imagining themselves with babies. I talked about last week that ai app where people are creating versions of babies combined with their faces and the face of another person they might might want to make a baby with and they're producing images of this i'll have to post a link to that episode because it's really interesting it's causing a little bit of baby fever right now but here's what's fascinating part of the ending of the film was barbie going to visit the OBGYN no explanation no reason as to why what she was doing there and a lot of people are literally scratching their head going why did barbie go to visit the OBGYN? i heard one ridiculous claim claim and i do think it's r- ridiculous i think a positive marriage and family approach one person said well she was going because maybe she's pregnant and she like wants to start a family and that's the next step well she wasn't dating anyone someone said well maybe she was going for an abortion well she could have but ob I don't even think 9 out of 10 OBGYNs perform abortion, so you couldn't really read between the lines on that. My guess is more likely birth control and how people view birth control as a necessary path forward. It's interesting, the director, Greta Gerwig, actually commented when people keep asking, because everyone's confused about the ending of the film and Barbie visiting the OBGYN, why? And the director, Greta Gerwig, actually said it was a rite of passage for women and that's why it was put in the film. But what does that mean? Well, It's not just in the rite of passage. Not everyone goes and visits the OBGYN for no reason. Birth control is really usually at the heart of that. And so with this underlying tone of make your own path, you do you, without saying, hey, use birth control, that's what's necessary to make it happen, I think they were kind of implying that, but were maybe too scared to say that as the creators tried to appeal to everyone. So at the end of the day, here's part of my take. I think we need to know ourselves And I think that's important. And I think that's part of why it was good to see that breakdown between Barbie and Ken not ending up together and her really saying, hey, you need to get to know yourself apart from me. And that's true. We need to know ourselves in order to give ourselves. But it's also good to say no to a man who's just waiting around if you're a lady and there's no substance to him. He's just waiting around for you. There's a difference to wait on you and honor you versus just waiting for you to make his whole world be everything or for you to motivate him to do something. So those are my thoughts on the Barbie movie. I'd love to hear yours. You're listening to Trending with Timory, here on Relevant Radio. We're going to come back in just a minute talking to Michael Gasparo, and we're going to talk about Our Lady of Guadalupe and how she helps in leading us to our vocation, but also how she's our mother and leads us to a greater understanding of that need and gift of motherhood. We'll be right back with licensed marriage and family therapist, Michael Gasparo, and also continuing on in our series of Theology of the Body.
1: So, what's trending? Bridging your Catholic faith with your everyday life. You're listening to Trending with Timory on Relevant Radio and the Relevant Radio app.
0: Joining me today on Trending is licensed marriage and family therapist, Michael Gasparo. He is really leading on the crisis surrounding gender and same-sex attraction in our culture from a Catholic perspective, helping to heal the wounds and provide a path forward as Catholics, even in the face of experiencing gender confusion or same-sex attraction, but doing so with chastity. And he, again, he's a licensed marriage and family therapist. And we're dovetailing into an interesting topic today, and that is Our Lady of Guadalupe and understanding the Blessed Virgin Mary as mother, as our mother. Michael, I know you were just at Our Lady of Guadalupe and I'm so excited to hear a little bit about your trip and some of what's resonated with you in unpacking this trip for you. I know has been seeing Our Lady as your mother, as our mother as well.
1: Yeah, I was so in awe of my time there. I had never grown up with much of a devotion to Our Lady of Guadalupe. And so it was kind of a surprise to me that I felt called to go visit Our Lady of Guadalupe in Mexico City. Um, But you might know, I believe it's the most visited Christian pilgrimage site in the world. Have you heard that as well, Timmery?
0: Fascinating, I actually don't know.
1: Yeah, it's definitely up there, one or two, and they have mass every hour on the hour from 6 a.m. to 8 p.m. every day of the week. (laughs) So just to give your listeners a sense, if they haven't gone, how tremendously popular of a place this is, particularly for the Mexican people, because of course she has, you know, shepherded the entire population of, of that region of the world into Christendom, but also for all of the Americas. Because as you probably know and many of our listeners know, she is considered the patroness of the Americas. And her famous tagline, if you will, above the cathedral, written in beautiful letters, is Am I not here who are your mother? Which is what she said to St. Juan Diego. And I found that to be such an interesting and important frame of mm. reference for our time too, because while we talk to Marie about the crisis in, in men and masculinity, there's also, at any time there's a crisis in one sex, I would say we need to look at both sexes and say, where is the, the motherhood to balance fatherhood and vice versa? And she mm. is the perfect mother to all of us who gives women talking about your Barbie movie, right? A perfect example of femininity of motherhood that really counters the cultural vision of what sometimes a secularized womanhood looks like.
0: And I think that's significant when we talk about Our Lady of Guadalupe. I mean, she, although not recent per se, if you look at her, even Our Lady of Fatima, these images of Our Lady are so relevant at a time, as you're saying, when there's ambiguity and confusion about what it means to be a man, what it means to be a woman. And I've never had a particular devotion to Our Lady of Guadalupe, more so until the last few years. It's grown just a little bit because I've had children due around that time and the potential of them being due or actually being born on her feast day, it made me unpack just a little bit more. But I remember, Michael, interestingly, when I first started to appreciate Our Lady of Guadalupe and her apparition, was more so when a priest friend of mine was sharing about his devotion to Our Lady of Guadalupe and how significant Our Lady of Guadalupe has been in his life as a man, and seeing that need for the feminine touch in his life, of understanding the need for that maternal dimension, especially for someone whose parents are no longer alive, but also for that female complementarity in just guiding the day to day moments of your life. You know, we need what is other, we need the feminine masculine, and I think we help to balance each other. The route and he commented how for him that has been our lady and that's so significant when you come back to what you said Michael about what the Blessed Virgin said in the apparitions of Guadalupe to Juan Diego who she appeared to at one point she says listen and understand my littlest son let nothing frighten and afflict you or trouble your heart and then she goes on to say this quote as you mentioned that you saw am I not here I who am your mother are you not under my shadow am I not your health are you not my chance held in my mantle and i think this is beautiful because it brings it back to this understanding if you're troubled if you're frightened do you not understand i'm right here why are you troubled why are you frightened you're under my maternal care you're under my mantle you're wrapped in my clothing like my swaddled child jesus himself
1: and mary always brings us closer she is not in competition with her son so the Holy Spirit is working through Mary always and then when we come to Mary, especially as Americans here with our patroness, the, you know, Our Lady of Guadalupe in her, in her presence and her apparition to Saint Juan Diego, I th- I don't know, I was thinking while I was there that she just wants so badly to invite her son into our hearts and minds and invite us into his. She becomes this sort of mediator and of course Christ is our is our voice before the Father, right? So like we come before Jesus, who is the, the sole one to stand before the Father and to intercess for us. But at the same time, Mary brings us to the sacred heart of Jesus. And, and when I was there, Timory, I really got a sense that Mary wants, she she still she is the only person in all of creation who can call Jesus her son. So she mm-hmm. literally now in in her assumed state as queen of heaven and earth, can speak to our Lord Jesus and say, my son. And in her motherly care, even for her son, she invites him into our lives if we ask her to. You know, we say, Mary, bring Jesus into our lives. And she says, come in, my son, into my child, Michael, or my child, my daughter, Timory. And that, that sense is something I really felt in a profound way when I was there in Mexico City, that as his as Jesus' mother, she wants so badly to to bring us closer to his sacred heart.
0: Mm. And I keep thinking, Michael, You know, for those who maybe don't have a devotion or know much about Our Lady of Guadalupe, this stems with consistency all the way back to sacred scripture in John chapter 19, right there at the cross, when Jesus, some of his last words on the cross was actually to hand his mother over to you and I. John, the beloved apostle, was standing there at the foot of the cross as a representative of the church, as a representative of each and every single one of us, when our lord on the cross his last dying wish he looks at his mother and says woman behold your son and he looks at john behold your mother that is a message to us what does that mean to unpack the understanding that our lady has been given to us as mother and we are called to embrace her
1: yeah and it's kind of funny because sometimes Timory These spiritual ideas can seem hard to reach or grasp, but I think, I hope your listeners will have patience for me as I share that I got food poisoning in Mexico. And so,
0: as some people do, whenever
1: you're traveling, you know, our bodies aren't used to the same type of food or whatever else comes with traveling. And I got, you know, the unfortunate experience of food poisoning. But what's funny is I felt sick. I felt very sick to my stomach. I had a fever. And I really was attuned to my need, my mortality, my, my dependence on God because I was so sick. And I turned to this book of reflections and while I was sick, lying in bed, feeling terrible. And I flipped to the back of the book and at the back of the book, there was a reflection from a hundred years ago from Archbishop of Mexico City at the time. who was a very holy man who was writing about how, when we're sick, all we want is our earthly mother. You know, that's it doesn't go away in adulthood when when someone's sick, all you can think about is like, I just want my mom to take care of me. And in that moment, up until that point on that trip, Timory, I had a hard time with that concept of am I not here? I who am your mother in a very visceral or like in my my heart and mind. It was really an mm. intellectual exercise for me. And all of a sudden in this Bishop's Reflections, timory said, When you're sick, you may not always be by your earthly mother, but you are always under the care of your spiritual mother, your heavenly mother, Mary, when you're sick and when you're not feeling well. And it's not that she always takes away the the cross or cup of suffering. Sometimes we still have to undergo a test or a suffering, but she's always there caring for us in that suffering. And we can always turn to her maternal care. And I tell you what, I just all of a sudden had a revelation or this epiphany in my heart and mind of okay now I really am just a sick kid like Mary I'm I'm your sick kid right now and I need you to care for me like my mom and bring my sick heart and body to Jesus and so it's funny how sometimes even the physical things we undergo can actually be pathways that God uses to kind of wake us up spiritually
0: it's I think an incredible reflection talk about how timely there you are you're sick to your stomach in Mexico City there at Our Lady of Guadalupe and you read this reflection from the Bishop of Mexico City over a hundred years old talking about how we desire a mom when we're sick I, I love it and isn't that what we see I and mean, even just seeing this in my two-year-old when she is upset or fussy like she loves her dad she loves comfort from her dad and even when she's sick and wants something from me she still wants the affirmation from him but who does she run to she runs to mom And yet when we're adults, we don't necessarily do that as much. Yet in reality, we all still do need our mothers and our earthly mothers are wonderful, but we can't forget how fundamental our lady is and that she is our spiritual mother is still our mother. And I think that's so beautiful that in like humility of what you were experiencing, you came to that understanding.
1: Yeah, and it was certainly a little bit, um, uncomfortable, let's say, but it's (laughs) important sometimes to to be able to laugh at ourselves and be like, okay, it took me getting sick and laying in bed to start to unpack a little bit of the reality of this Mm. motherhood of Mary. And of course, I'm a human being and I'm fallen and a work in progress. So I don't have perfect understanding of this, but it was providential. And it's, it's a good reminder to me, and I'm sharing it as a source of hopefully consolation to your listeners too, that the things we think are quote ruining our experience you know i was like i can't have food poisoning this is ruining my trip (laughs) you know no this is a way god can use something in my life to help achieve his purposes even the bad things we go through the uncomfortable things can be sources of that and sometimes we have a consolation like i did in the moment where i was like aha i see but sometimes we might not see it in that moment and that's when we have to Mm. try to trust okay god in time I'm going to try to see this as you see this through the lens of eternity, but right now I don't understand. So I'm not saying every time we go through a trial, it's immediately clear, but I was so grateful for that consolation. And, and so I wanted to share it.
0: I'm so glad you did. And, you know, consecrating myself to the Blessed Virgin Mary. Have you ever done it? hmm. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, and I think that it's a growing process each year that I do the reconsecration. I feel like I come to another step in a deeper understanding of that relationship and the significance of that consecration. But our need for Mary is so significant, from the perfection of motherhood that she is, to just that feminine touch in every element of our lives and even entrusting everything we have to her. You know, as children, mm-hmm. as little babies, we're completely dependent upon our moms for everything from nourishment to shelter to play to cultivating joy and interest, you know, conversation mm-hmm. we learn from them. And so turning in that respect and that dependence to our lady as our intercessor, as our guide, and actually understanding the significance of that consecration of totally giving ourselves over into her maternal hands I think is so important and it is a really big leap I would say in our faith to get to that point point. and like you said you know here you are growing a deeper understanding of it yet it's transformative when we start to unpack it more and stay with it and not forget it
1: yeah and sometimes people can also benefit from just a little daily consecration too that you know you can follow up with each day concentrating the day to the Lord through Saint Joseph through Mary and I also think that what's important to keep in mind with vocation is that when we're looking at our day-to-day lives and our vocations and how we're living and following God's will Mary like I said earlier isn't, isn't competitive with the creator she is part of the creation and she's pointing always back to to the creator and so when, when Jesus, for instance, goes and wanders into the, the temple and Mary and Joseph look for three days and then they have the joy of, of finding the Lord in the temple, he says to Mary, essentially, you know, some, I'm paraphrasing Jesus here, Tim, Murray, but why, why were you worried? Did you not know I'd be in my father's house? And Mary and Joseph basically accept this answer because they know he, Jesus, their son, is following God's call for his life. So Mary's love for us is perfectly motherly but also non-possessive. And I don't mean that of course, you know, we belong to her, but in the sense that she's never taking us or steering us away from a vocation. She's mm. freeing us for our vocations with her love and the grace of the Holy Spirit through our relationship with her and our and our devotion to her in return.
0: I love that. Let's unpack that a little bit more. Our Lady helping to lead us to our vocation. If you're just joining us, you're listening to Trending with Tim Murray here on Relevant Radio. That's a licensed marriage and family therapist, Michael S. He practices in Southern California and Los Angeles. You can find him at catholictherapist.com. We'll post a link on social media as well as in the episode notes to Michael and Catholic Therapist. But talk to me a little bit more about that because I think that's significant. We live at a time when many people are experiencing, a, in a certain respect, a vocational crisis, whether they're looking for a spouse whether they're married and they're struggling with what they're doing in their lives in terms of their career to make money or maybe just struggling through the challenges of motherhood or fatherhood I think many people often have that crisis and for some it turns into an existential crisis yet as people of faith it should be a not so much a crisis existentially crisis existential but a crisis of redirection of how am I doing and serving God's will and I think you're right our lady does have a very fundamental role in helping us to discover that of how to live out the moment to moment during our day but also the big picture those elements that might need to change and come back into sync how do you see that as significant if you can tease it out a little bit more with our lady in not just directing us toward our vocation but in the fact that she takes us to her son and that's her fundamental role
1: Well, I'd love to hear your thoughts, too. I think part of what comes to mind for me is that perfect love frees the the other person to be themselves. And so Mary loves us with the perfect love of the Holy Spirit. And so as we surrender to that love and entrust ourselves to her care, she's going to free us more to see ourselves as God sees us and to understand better our role in God's story because she knew her role in God's story, right? So when the angel Gabriel comes to her and and, announce, and she has the experience of the Annunciation and she gives her perfect yes, her yes without limits. You know, thy may it be done to me according to your will. She models for us how we are invited to respond to God too. And I love how Bishop Barbara Barron and other people have pointed out that as soon as she has this announcement of, of the Christ child, she goes in haste to visit elizabeth so she she knows her mission she knows her role and then she moves and so we can sometimes through these consecrations but also just through if you don't even have to do do a consecration yet if you have a relationship with our lady ask her to give you a share of her faith and her humility so when when we do that she's going to help us to respond with the same yes to god's call for our own lives however small of a, as Hans Urs von Balthasar I think said, what, you know, let me be the small pebble in the mosaic God is creating, and helping us to find our mission because of her perfect yes. And what was relieving to me, Timory, is I don't know how to say yes. I want to say yes. Sometimes (laughs) I even want to want to say yes to God's call for my life, but she knows how. And so Jesus gave us our relationship with Our Lady and St. Joseph and the Holy Family to help us to know how to say yes to give our Mm -hmm. you know our thy will be done to god ourselves
0: Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and i think that's significant when you say she helps to teach us how to say yes what i always ponder in our lady's story if we read sacred scripture her yes began before the angel Gabriel ever even mm. came to her and we can see this if we actually dive into the biblical text in the Greek of the greeting of the angel Gabriel to our lady we mm-hmm. pray our hail mary all the time we say hail mary full of grace but that's not exactly what the angel said it the, the angel said hail grace hail o favored one uh, she the angel Gabriel actually referred to our lady as grace itself That that's Hmm. what she was, that that's what she embodied, that's what she exudes, that's how she lived her life. That was her mode of operation. And so what scholars have commented upon with regard to Our Lady is that in that greeting of the angel Gabriel to Our Lady and calling Mary, not by her name Mary, but by the name Grace, that Our Lady had already conceived christ within her heart mind and soul before she ever conceived him within her womb and hmm. i think that is a guide for us in discovering our vocation in unpacking our faith that we embrace god fully in our devotion and our sacrifice i mean it makes me think of the old testament for example deuteronomy 6 5 What was taught to every Jewish child, every child of Israel, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. And young children were told to then teach that to their children in the years to Mm -hmm. come. And I think that that is what Our Lady really did embody, her whole heart, soul, and strength. She loved our Lord Before she even knew him as the Christ child by the name of Jesus, she wholly and totally gave herself over to him. And because of that, there was no question with regard to her vocation, with regard to saying yes to the angel, with regard to going and serving Elizabeth for, you know, six months while she's pregnant. And it's not really a fun time to take care of someone when you're pregnant and probably sick or traveling far away via donkey. It's just an uncomfortable season. Yet she did it.
1: Mm hmm. Yeah, wow, and it's so encouraging to know that somebody like Mary, who the angel addresses as grace itself, is the person, body and soul, assumed into heaven, but a real person. You know, sometimes they say, why do you guys pray to dead people? And I'm like, ah, 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 you know, as we hear it, they're not dead, they're alive. And so Mary is a person, body and soul, grace is her name. And to your point, Timory, this person, Mary, Our Lady, Our Lady of Guadalupe in the context of what we're talking about today is the perfect helper. And so while I'm no expert on Marian devotion, I know that Our Lady of Guadalupe wants to help me. She wants to help me follow Jesus and that we're called to serve her as well. So I want to give my heart and my mind to her, to help her, to ask her to help me to go to Jesus. And at the end of the day, she makes up through her faith and her humility what lacks in my own. And even sometimes I found, Timory, as you've probably noted in like the St. Louis de Montfort consecration, we can bring that to even our reception of Jesus in the Eucharist, which can be a very profound experience for a lot of people, to ask Mary to receive the Lord into our hearts for us. In times when we don't have the strength or know how or feel incapable. Um, is that a, a devotional practice you've heard much about?
0: I haven't. I have not.
1: Yeah, so in in my time in, in Mexico City, I was going to the Eucharist and I was asking Mary, you know, Mary, just as you receive Jesus in the nativity and in the annunciation, receive the Lord into my heart for me. Bring and this is this is oh. what St. Louis de Montfort talks about and and his True Devotion to Mary book, although I'm, like I said, not an expert on that particular text, I would encourage your readers to check it out. Um, And in that process, I felt Mary was reminding me that she was going to help invite Jesus into my heart Mm -hmm. for me, Mm -hmm. because I was like, look, here I am, I'm imperfect and I'm really struggling to just be present, bring God into my, bring Jesus, invite him in for me. And I think Mary wants to do that for us. I think she wants to help us invite the Lord into our hearts. Just as we say, Lord, I'm not worthy that you should enter under my roof, but only say the word of my soul shall be healed. Sometimes it's even hard to say those words for us when we're struggling, when we're in pain, when we have doubt. And that's when we can turn to our lady and say, help me, say the words for me. Bring bring Jesus into my heart for me when I'm not strong enough.
0: You're inspiring me to read the True Devotion by St. Louis de Montfort again because it's been Oh, goodness, close to 15 years now since I read it. And, you know, that concept, you know, we're always in a different place in our faith. And so rereading those texts that maybe we've read before, I think is so significant. You're reminding me of this book on devotion to the Eucharist by St. Alphonsus Liguori. He had an incredible devotion to Our Lady and focused much on the consecration to her. But he actually would turn to her in his daily reflections before the Eucharist to ask Our Lady and helping with that devotion to the Eucharist. I always thought that was profound because Mm -hmm. St. Louis de Montfort and St. Alphonsus Liguori, they understood that Our Lady literally was the Ark of the Covenant. She was the first tabernacle of our Lord, housing our Lord. And so she can take us home. She can help us to understand what it means to be consumed by Christ and to give ourselves back to Him as well.
1: Yeah. And, and like, I know some of these concepts are things that we're unpacking on a high level right now. So if anyone's listening to this and just curious about it, just know I'm, I'm probably like you. Like, I'm new to this. I didn't grow up with a significant Marian devotion in my life, Timory. In fact, I was kind of averse to it and was really raised around a lot of Protestant people who I love greatly still. But I, I wasn't somebody who grew up with this kind of devotion. This is really a gift. And I'm sharing about it to encourage families and others to be open to receiving that gift that Mary wants to love us. She wants to draw us into Jesus. She wants to bring Jesus into our hearts. And for family life, like since we're talking about having healthy masculine and feminine roles, I think the the relationship with Mary and Joseph, as we get to know each of them better as, you know, spouse of the Blessed Virgin and as a Blessed Virgin herself, they give us a model of family life that is so beautiful and encouraging. And so I think it's worth just considering in that context as well.
0: And I love to meditate upon, ask questions. What would it have been like for Mary and Joseph? Did they have, was Jesus a petulant child at time? Uh, how did they interact in communicating on simple day-to-day things or big picture challenges? Or you know, what did meals look like for them? I'm glad you mentioned that because I think there's much to be said in meditating upon their lives, both recognizing the unknown, but also pondering what we do know about our lady, St. Joseph and Jesus and the Holy Family to help guide us as that guiding star in our devotion and i think that's significant because you have commented before we even started the show that our lady of guadalupe points to our lady as a star of the new evangelization that she is that model when it comes to reinvigorating our faith within ourselves and within others so i think there's a lot of food for thought in discovering our lady as our mother and her helping us to unpack what our vocation is michael thank you for joining us i'm so glad you're able to share with us about your devotion to our lady guadalupe and your recent trip to guadalupe you can find michael gasparo on catholic therapist we'll post a link to michael gasparo he's a a licensed marriage and family therapist i'll be right back here on trending we're going to continue our series I'm Pope St. John Paul II's Theology of the Body, and we'll unpack today a really key paragraph in The Theology of the Body where Pope St. John Paul II talks about unpacking the value of man, what it means to be a man, and how important this is in understanding yourself as a man through the affirmation that a woman actually brings.
1: We're talking about what you're thinking about. You're listening to Trending with Timory on Relevant Radio and the Relevant Radio app.
0: One of my favorite phrases in Pope St. John Paul II's Theology of the Body, and I'll paraphrase it, is where he says, femininity in some way finds itself before masculinity, and masculinity discovers itself before femininity. What does that mean? Well, that's what Pope St. John Paul II's theology of the body is all about. Unpacking what it means to be a man and what it means to be a woman in the image and likeness of God. And how do we live that in terms of a human anthropology? That's the answer. That's the question. Yesterday, we unpacked a little bit of what it means to understand ourselves as women. And today, I want to walk through... We're going slow here for a moment here. Uh, Pope St. John Paul II has a key paragraph in the Catechetical Talk 17 in the Theology of the Body series that I'm doing, reading from his actual talks that he gave, where he talks about a man coming to an enriched understanding of himself. And this is done through his understanding of himself and him being embraced before a woman. And this is significant because we enter into the world through relationships relationships are how we come to understand ourselves all of us have a mom and a dad this is why even internationally law has always protected the right of a child to his or her biological mother and father i pray we continue to uphold that in a crisis of a culture surrounding itself in surrogacy and in vitro fertilization where people don't know who their hired parents are who their donor parents are who their carrier parents are it's a mess and this is why it's important in many respects because men understand themselves through their mother and father, through their siblings, through then those friendships and romantic relationships they have down the road. And so Pope St. John Paul II says that a man is enriched by his understanding as a self-donation in answer to that of the woman. So what Pope St. John Paul II is saying is that a man is enriched in understanding himself. He really understands himself through this response of self donation, of him giving himself to a woman and what that woman's response is. And when I say giving yourself, some people like to exclusively talk about this on a sexual respect. That's not what theology of the body is specifically. It is understanding a giving of ourselves in conversation, a giving of ourselves in friendship, a giving of ourselves in service, even. You know, that person who maybe is giving you a service at working at a grocery store helping to fix your plumbing, that there is this acceptance and embracing of another person of one before the other, and that in our femininity and in our masculinity, we affirm and complement each other and come to a greater sense of self-discovery. Pope St. John Paul II says this is the specific essence of a man's masculinity, that he's known through the reality of his body and the reality of the sex that his body shows. That is whether he's male or female. In this respect, male, and then developing what that means in the totality of it. And remember yesterday, we were talking about this from the perspective of the gender issue with Paula, who was a teammate of the man who calls himself Leah Thomas. And we're talking about how there's sex differences written into every single cell of the human body. That's significant, especially when we look at the theology of the body, because Pope St. John Paul II is saying that through the reality of our body, and with that, it's sex, we come to understand ourselves. Pope St. John Paul II says that this allows us to reach the innermost depth of ourselves and come to a level of self-possession. And specifically, we're talking about men right now. Through all of this, Pope St. John Paul II says that a man is able— both to give himself and to receive the gift of the other in this self-expression, in this interaction, in this dynamic of himself with others, especially before a woman, whether it be his mother, his sister, sometimes even a stranger, that we can really start to discover ourselves in a very profound way when we see what is other and someone who is other, who is different, who is feminine, affirms what is different from them in us. And I think we all, if we were to do a little bit of digging, could actually point to different circumstances, conversations, relationships, moments even with strangers where we experienced this, where we felt affirmed and known and had a sense of self-knowledge, self-acceptance, and then the freedom to give ourselves back to someone else by those dialogue moments, through those silent interactions that led to a great level of self-assurance, acceptance, and understanding. Pope St. John Paul II says that when a man is welcomed as a gift by the woman, this is when he starts to accept himself as a gift and give himself away. I know men, you know, I think sometimes terminology, sometimes we can lose things in, in in interpretation and sometimes English when being translated from a different language as is the case of Pope St. John Paul II's work, men don't always want to think of themselves as a gift. I would say, gentlemen, think of yourselves as a sacrifice given because by being accepted by a woman, there is this moment of a man appreciating himself, having this sense of self-realization, self-revelation, and this allows him to have a deeper sense of his spiritual essence, as Pope St. John Paul II says. And with that, he says his masculinity together comes this deeper level of truth with regard to the body and his biological sex as man. what that means for the entirety of his life. And so what happens when a woman affirms a man in his masculinity, in the differences, and I would say, ladies, we have a job to do here, even in embracing what is abrasive to us in the difference, and the contrast, and the friction of the difference between men and women, and embracing what is inspiring in those differences that we like, that we're called to come to an all-embracing dimension of what is other about men. And I know that can be difficult at times, or pet peeves, and some people I'd say, men are barbarians, burping, farting, doing things differently. But at the end of the day, those differences, and sometimes we like to say not all of them, Those differences are part of what is so desirable. It's not what is same about the other that we so deeply love. It is what is other, what is complementarity. So Pope St. John Paul II says that when a man is accepted in this way, he is enriched by this acceptance and by this welcoming of the gift of who he is being given in his masculinity. And Pope St. John Paul II says this, listen up, that when this occurs, when he is accepted by a woman, he is enriched and accepted and welcomed. What follows, Pope St. John Paul II says in his Theology of the Body, is that by this acceptance, the man finds himself through the sincere gift of self. And this becomes a source of a profound enrichment of women. So what Pope St. John Paul II says is that when a woman affirms a man and helps him to understand his identity by accepting, embracing, and welcoming him, that it's then that a man can actually, in a very profound way, he's then able to enrich women, to build up women, to build up the particular women in his life, even those he encounters for just a moment in the grocery store, at the hardware store, at the gas pump, that there's a positive way in which a man can then build up and enrich women, that this is the complementarity of maleness and femaleness. And this all begins within the home. Mothers and fathers affirming the masculinity of their children, the femininity of their children. Sisters, I know sisters and siblings love to engage in a lot of banter, but it's so important that sisters affirm the masculinity in their brothers. That wives see the differences and embrace and understand what is masculine. From the competition to... The initiative even when things are done differently not the way you would like it that through edifying one another we actually build each other up i keep thinking of the words of saint paul in the new testament when he talks about while you have the opportunity while it's still today use that opportunity to encourage one another this is at the core of what pope saint john paul ii is saying in affirming one another in our differences because it builds up one another and it builds up the kingdom of heaven that can be lived out through grace here on earth, now. This is Timree from Trending with Timree. Friday, Dr. Philip Chavez will join me and we'll discuss effeminacy and its difference from masculation. We'll discuss hidden traits of emasculation that are found in men and how those traits disaffect relationships also talk about how women can become enriched and free in society through the complementarity between men and women. So join me Friday at 6 p.m. central on Relevant Radio or the Relevant Radio app.